Welcome to The Fan Room, where we open the door to conversations about trauma, stress, race, and everything in between that happens to veterans before, during, and after military service. So grab a seat, sit back, and let's get to it. Let's get to it. So this is the inaugural episode of The Fan Room, right? So that's the name of the podcast. It's called The Fan Room. Nice. Um, and it's it's just about, you know, you know what a fan room is. Like, you kind of go in there when it's time to get down and dirty in a, a bunch of different ways, uh, whether it be working. Or, uh, I've seen people fighting in the fan room. People got down and dirty in other ways in the fan room. So, I mean, it it's, it's us. <laughs> it's just us getting, uh, you know, uh, into some real stuff, stripping away some of those uh facades and some of the uniform that we wear when it comes to our presentation and talking about some real stuff so uh but this music that's playing right now in the background is from you right yep i just made these songs uh this song and it's uh brothers and sisters probably a month ago yeah and it's it's giving like some jay-z some jay-z vibes right like when the tops go off girls tops yeah go off. it's giving like it make me want to it make me want to get back you know so i'm gonna turn the music down real uh, quick so we could get started um we'll do all the other stuff soon we'll talk names and stuff like that uh soon i want to start off though talking about music um like why music for me um music has been uh, like one of my best friends, one of my outlets. I was a military brat, so when I moved around a lot and had to make new friends, music was my way of connecting. And it was also my way of like, you know, if I didn't have friends at the time or if I didn't have anyone else to kind of connect with, that was like my imaginary friend. <laughs> so through my whole life, uh, music has been that kind of outlet for me. And the older I got, um, I realized that I could actually use my skills and talents a lot of the navy talents that i got and actually work in the music industry and start doing my passion as my work so yeah so we were like we were listening to like what i would consider a hip-hop oh yeah uh, instrumental like a hip-hop influence instrumental yep um where we parted ways the last time <laughs> i saw you you were doing rock right was it yeah was it, was it punk rock or alternative rock i'd call it alternative uh okay. last time i saw you it was like singer songwriter alternative sort of stuff um mm -hmm. when i moved down to florida after i separated uh from yeah. the navy i got in a pop punk band and we were doing stuff like paramore and um we had a a female front vocal lead that would sing i do harmonies and play guitar we did that for about two and a half to three years and won like every battle of the bands around here and played on stages from like the hard rock in Daytona to the hard rock in Tampa. And then um, COVID happened, shut everything down pretty much. Even in Florida, we were open, but nowhere was really open. So a lot of uh, the artists in the area, including myself, we kind of took a back seat. Um, stopped doing the live performances and really started honing our craft like in the studio and exploring new genres and that's how i kind of got to where i am now with the releases yeah. that i'm doing yeah man you can't hip-hop is inescapable man you can't yeah. escape hip-hop man well the but, reason i like doing it is because it the bound the like the rules that other music production has like rock it's they like to 
mess around like it's a no rules sort of genre. But when you get into the recording mm-hmm. studio, there's a certain way to do everything. And there's a certain way the song is going to sound at the end of the day. You're kind of going for cookie cutter. And what I realized about hip hop after I just like listened to lots of mixtape after mixtape is there aren't really any rules. And you can kind of like musically break as many rules as you want. And no one's going to ask you questions for it unless they're trying to step up on your toes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, especially mixtapes um, and especially now, like I'm seeing a lot of it um, now you know a whole lot more uh, it's just crazy to me that you you know you go from um like an alternative form of rock to hip-hop but like i think a lot of the moods and a lot of the spirit that's in the alternative rock or the rock that you were doing it's it's still in a lot of that lo-fi oh yeah hip-hop and some of that stuff that i'm hearing um from you definitely you know so I'm going to talk for a second about music, and I'm sure you'll probably relate. So I'm going to talk about music. So music, right? This is my relationship with music. I've committed violent acts for music, Um, uh, whether it was for the consumption of music or for the creation of music, right? And not like crazy, like Dimer, like violent, like acts. (laughs) But like, for instance, like when DMX, uh, his first CD came out, my brother, he wanted, he tried to take it from me. We got into a fight about that, right? Mm-hmm. But I lied, I lied for music, right? I lied uh, for music, um, whether it be me lying to my mom about uh, hip-hop music that I wasn't listening to, but I really was, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> or hip-hop music that I wasn't writing, but I really was, and she found it, curse words and stuff like that, right? I put myself in harm's way to create music and to listen to music. I've cried over music. Um, I've cried over the creation of music. I've cried during the consumption of music. I've dedicated countless time and money towards it. I've been heartbroken by it. I've been fooled by it. Right. And I'm sure you could relate on mostly all of those. Right. You said it was like you said music was your best friend at, at, at some point. It's probably been my best enemy, too, at some point as well. Yeah, man, it's like just that <laughs> that love hate. Like this is our toxic, you know, kind of. I mean, you have to like, in my opinion, you have to have some form of toxicity to like create music. Yeah, you know, definitely. especially especially the music that you know I could say we create because I hear a lot of the moods and the tones and the music you know that that you create. So I know it comes from a place in the heart, like in the soul. Definitely. You know what I mean? And uh, so and that's what I'm kind of experiencing right now, Um, because I never thought that my necessity, because that's the next question I want to talk to you about is like, you know, what keeps you in it? Like, I never thought my necessity to create music was condition based. I never thought that. So, Mm. you know, the last time uh, when we were physically around each other, I was still writing music. I was still actually in the process of creating music, but I was also still broke in a sense um and I, I a lot of the dreams that i had um i still had them like a lot of the things i wanted to attain uh whether it be love like real love or, or monetary or something comforting you know i was still in those conditions um and now that i'm out of those conditions man i find it hard to create music in that sense you know so is it like for you is it like always trying to ground yourself somewhere that Um, inspires you to create 
I think so, because like last year especially was really hard for me personally and for like millions of other people of others. And I felt that and it was hard to drive myself to create in the ways that I used to, the ways that mm -hmm. I was comfortable with. I mean, like the, the world we were comfortable with got ripped away from us. And I felt yeah. like the ways I used to create did also. So uh, with my latest music, like I kind of made no rules for myself. And I told myself, I'm going to do a, a song a day. I'm going to start with eight bars and just work mm -hmm. eight bars. Once I get eight bars, that's good. I'll start layering, stacking and adding them and whatever. And so it was small goals. I worked myself into like, once I get eight bars that I'm happy with, I'm done. That's it. I created something. I can move on to the next day. And for me, it started as like a challenge to keep myself motivated. Like you said, to keep yourself grounded in the experience. And I really didn't have any uh, goalposts set for myself aside from doing just eight bars. If I yeah, could do the, just the eight bars. Habit. Yeah. Right. And then once that started and I was like, wow, this is actually fun. Uh, I found it to be much more of a release than like alternative songwriting because that's very goal driven. It's like, you know, you want to make somebody feel a certain feeling. So you're going to write very specifically. You got to write it. You got to write. You got to write. You got to write it like specifically. But then you got to write how you would pronounce it as well. Yeah. Right? You're like, yeah. It's like you're going for a mark. Like you want to make yeah. that person out in the audience feel this way. So you're going to write the song. That's not what I did with this last batch of stuff. I, I just kind of let the song breathe and be its own self. When it felt like it was done, it was done. So there was no pressure or anything like that. So I really took myself out of the box I was used to being in and kind of challenged myself in a new way, but in a lot of a less pressured sort of environment. And I, yeah. I really like what I got because <laughs> it, everything surprised me. Whereas yeah. I've I sat mean, down yeah. to try to write before and I'm like, nah, this sucks. And I throw it in the trash and it's never seen. <laughs> so, yeah. And I mean, that's the true art in it all. Cause, 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 cause you create in instrumentals, right? Yeah. Yep. Well, yeah. I still yeah. play acoustic guitar and I, uh, I do weekly gigs, but I loop my acoustic guitar. So I'll, I'll put it through a loop pedal. I'll loop a percussion beat by banging on the guitar and then yeah. I'll play on top of that. So it wasn't too different for me to take that kind of formula and do it mm -hmm. on like, you know, a digital uh, audio workstation. But you're not writing raps to these beats, are you yourself? No, I can I can write <laughs> poetry and stuff and I can free verse. Yeah. Like I remember when you would come into the shop and I'd just sit there and awe while you would just like 10 minutes of bars. And I'm like, yeah, what? Yeah, yeah, that was awesome. Yeah. And I haven't been around many people that can do that since. I'm looking for yeah. people to try to feature. I would love to one day be able to like flow because I can write. I realize I can't flow with rap yet. Like I can get close, yeah. but like anyone who knows rap would be like, yeah, that dude's not comfortable with flow. He's he's there, <laughs> but yeah, it's like that. the confidence, yeah, like all that. Yeah. Step out of, yeah, it would take me like five years to be able to rap on top of this to where I'd feel comfortable. <laughs> yeah well i mean the true art is in that instrumental because now you just you you have a palette like you created something that somebody else could listen to and create a picture to it you know what i'm saying exactly. that's why i always yep. like i call it a palette like um it, and it could be a bunch of different i've heard moody like i've heard triumphant songs 
that like I'm I might have wanted to get sarcastic, you know, and, and yeah. write something that wasn't triumphant at all. Something about failure on the most triumphant, you know, instrumental. Or I've ho- heard like the saddest instrumental and wanted to make like the happiest, you know, music that I could. Cause yep. just like, you know, magic. Like you could create magic, you know, in those moments. So now you open the door for somebody else to create on something that you created. And that was the next question I was going to ask. Like, if you put out these instrumental albums, how would you feel about like artists? I'd love it. Grabbing the the beats and and writing to them. That's, that's the major goal of this. Cause uh, (laughs) I was listening to these in the car, just driving around cruising. Uh, I made a lot of them, like came up with them when I was passenger seat, driving on I four stuck in traffic. So a lot of them are like very, cruising along sort of beats to me and i would try to like just riding in the car start you know rapping about like being on the gas being on low (laughs) somebody cutting me off and stuff but like i don't i don't have a lot of content and i never really have as a songwriter have felt like i have a lot of content lyrically to bring to the table i Mm -hmm. i can do music for days whether it's uh in the hip-hop realm or alternative or pop punk whatever but lyrics for me, I can do them, but they seem it seems more forced. So if I could yeah. give like the vehicle that's the song to other people, if they could take it miles more than I could, that's awesome. That's like exactly what yeah. I like seeing happen with music. So because so to me, it's the, like a big teamwork thing. Yeah, always collaborative for sure. If it's not, then I don't think it's right. I'm yep. I'm gonna go back to the beat for a second because I want to play it so people can hear it so they can know what I'm talking about. Oh, you switched it up, right? Yep. Because you start here, right? So so one of the things about... Uh, I'm going to just turn it down, actually. So one of the things about um, instrumentalists sometimes is they could create, like, a beat that you can't formulate or construct, like, rhythmic bars to. And this isn't right. that. You know what I'm saying? Because a lot of times, like, an instrumentalist just wants to create the best like jazz record that they could create (laughs) without paying attention that like if a rapper could flow to it or something like that but that's that's not the case here actually this is something that could you know can actually be like some lyrics constructed around that you know that got a rhythm so that's definitely you know dope but let's talk real quick about the career versus like the love for music because you were in the navy uh for how many years 10 a little over 10 years like 10 years and five months or some change like that yeah so 10 years and in that time were you juggling like were were you so i'll tell you i I wrote something down in my notes it says my biggest fear was to pop and go on deployment right so meaning that my biggest fear was that i would actually have a successful song and then i would have to go and like you know fight for the military right. or go on deployment and and leave for six months and like i always had this as a fear like um i'm gonna leave for six months and that's when russell simmons is gonna call me <laughs> right. that's yeah when, yeah you know clive <clears throat> davis dr dre that's when i'm gonna get the phone call is when i'm on deployment and i'm not gonna be able to fulfill it or the navy not gonna let me buy myself out my contract or something like that all the time was that ever a thing for you no i really um when i was in the military i took a, a real backseat 
with creating and playing music at all. Um, I brought my guitar with me and we played like on the ship and stuff when I was on deployment on the Phil C back in 2008. But there was never really an opportunity to like collab with other people. I had friends that I'd play with. That's how I met you. Like music stuff was always around and I was always involving myself in it, but it was always a side thing for me. And it never really became a, like a passion that I pursued until after I got out. So when we were doing, you know, when we were messing around and stuff in the shop, uh, freestyling and stuff like that, you started doing gigs um, to my, if I remember, right? Yeah, I was playing with a band called Cavusi up in Maryland, and they actually opened for like Kenny Loggins a few years ago. Like, it, so they, <laughs> they've been doing some cool um, stuff since and I was playing with them and that was my introduction into the live world of performance music was through that band and through open mic nights in Annapolis and Baltimore and around those areas so before then I had never really like gigged out and performed out live so yeah when when I when I met you that was like right at that time where I was exploring that sort of thing and I was actually doing so for uh I was going to the open mic nights as like some of my therapy because when I was in therapy up there, uh, they were asking me what my hobbies were. And they were like, yeah, so long as you can go out and perform and not like drink and get really messed up, <laughs> then this can be yeah. a helpful thing for you. Yeah. And that, I mean, and that's how everything kind of fall. I was listening to Gary Owen, the comedian. Yeah. And he was in the Navy. I, I, I didn't know that. Right. So he was in the Navy for like five years. He said he was... Uh, he said he had did a comic view. So he was in the Navy. He said he went on leave for he was stationed in San Diego. He went on leave for a week, a week. And he did they would film 45 episodes of Comic View in a wow. week. Right. So they would do like five episodes wow. a day or something like that for like seven days straight. So he went he went down and did Comic View. So he was on BET on Comic View at the same time as he was like uh he said like same time as he's like directing traffic on wow. base or whatever, right? So He's coming up at, to the close of, like, the end of his, like, enlistment. And he, he had, like, three months left. And Comic View hit him up. Like, BET hit him up. Like, hey, we want you to host Comic View. And he's like, uh, okay. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, because his life at that point was like, okay. Even, like, why he joined the Navy. He was like, shit, okay. Yeah. So, but he, so he went back to his command. And he was like, hey, you know, BET hit me up. It's, it's, I gotta go. He told <laughs> you know what them. I'm <laughs> yeah, he was like, I gotta go. They was like, all right, we gonna get you a board. You know what I'm saying? So he said when he got to the board, it was a black chief. He said it was a black because that was part of his, you know, his his routine. He was like, it was a black chief came up to me. He was like, hey, I got you, brother. You know what I'm saying? Because he he liked them from Comic View, but he said during the board it was a warrant officer in the board, and the warrant officer was like, fuck that. You're not getting out. You you know, that's not happening. You're staying in. And he's like, yo, what does, like, little old me, like, you know, have three months left? With three months left, why am I so important to the Navy, right? So, was it, But then he said, like, a whole thing kind of shifted where he was like, nah, I'm taking back control. He was like, look, I'm not asking, <laughs> you know, <laughs> to get out the Navy. I'm telling you that I'm getting out. He was like, I do, I do, he's he's like, I'll do lines of coke. He, you know, he, he was like, I'm getting out or whatever, right? But I but I think about that because was music the reason why you uh, chose to get out? 
No, I had a lot of other stuff. Um, being a military brat my whole life, I felt like I was kind of in in the military my whole life, or at least like moving around. And I wanted to call a place home for once. So I got out for that reason primarily. Um, I always thought it was funny though, because we'd always have the CO during like uh, command quarters. They'd always send people off and say, oh, this guy's going to leave the Navy and be a rock star. <laughs> yeah. So I, I tried that a little bit. And um, like I played the rock star game for about two years after I got out. Uh, and that was kind of fun. And um, I went to school while I was doing that. So uh -huh. I used the GI Bill. I found out through another veteran at the school while I was signed up for business management classes because I was trying to be an electronics technician on like power boats in the area. And mm -hmm. uh, one of the other vets at the vet center was like, oh, yeah, I'm in enrolled in music production technology. And I was like, you can yeah. we have that course here. And she goes, yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> I stopped doing boat work and the boat work got weird anyway because of all the hurricane seasons down here. I started going to music production school at uh, Daytona State College and it's an actual two-year accredited degree like so I'm still halfway through that program COVID kind of knocked everything offline with that too but um, the skills that I got from that program and a lot of Navy skills transferred in because we did like soldering and studio maintenance um, and a lot of like high high tech sort of stuff in the audio mm -hmm. industry that transfers over to me now, uh, helping me get better jobs doing AV technician sort of stuff. Basically what the I seaman would do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can yeah, get yeah, like yeah. all those jobs now and I've been working a lot in the field and uh, I did a conference convention in Orlando like last month where I was like, I set up like four different PAs and I would make sure all those PAs were working for the, the speakers that were coming up to give addresses on them. So, okay. So, so what's your proudest moment uh, so far after the Navy and, and what you're doing right now? Um, there have been a lot of moments. That's actually, That's I was afraid hear, of that huh? question at first because it's like, oh, have I done a lot? But yeah, I, uh, oh man, it's, it's tough. One of them was playing a casino cruise when my band got to do that. Um, mm -hmm. And some of the band members, they didn't like being on the boat. They got seasick really quick. Uh, it was a small <laughs> little cruise that went out off of uh, Port Canaveral, where all the cruise ships go out on the East Coast here in Florida. And we mm -hmm. went out into international waters, and then they sail around so people can like do blackjack tables and slot machines. And we were the band on that, on that ship. For We went out on that ship probably like five different times. But... Every one of my bandmates and all of my friends that would come down for those cruises that we would play would look to me as I was like the subject matter expert <laughs> of boats. Yeah, water yeah. Guy. So they were like, Greg, what do we do if we if X, Y, Z happens? And I was like, oh, this is great. And I'm like, see, see the you know, it was just like any other ship. They had like all the arrows pointing for everything. So you knew where you were. And so I was that guy. <laughs> Um, yeah. but it was cool to be able to do that in a non-military capacity. So it was really yeah. neat, like being able to work back out at sea, but doing so as a professional entertainer where like we had to have our gear checked by customs when we were going on the boat, like they're opening up guitar cases, making sure we're not like, you know, bringing contraband in or whatever. 
man, that's pretty. I, I, I want me and my wife. We went <laughs> on a cruise, man, and um, you know, I just you know, I, I got on the ship. I'm like, man, where the engine room at? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, exactly. Let me find the engine room. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm the man on here. You know, I work on these things six months a year, yeah. five, ten years. Like man, where that? And I never look. I never made it to the edge of rope. You know what I'm saying? Like, but I'm just no. like, yo, I'm the guy on here. But um, what I did want to talk about was when you were working on boats. Um, and this might get us into like the kind of nerdy uh, spectrum. But hey, so on the boats, it's the same equipment. You were working with a lot of the same equipment that you were working with in the Navy, right? I'm, I'm sure, right? Yeah. Radar equipment and stuff. Yeah, radar, radio, interior communications. So you were a pretty, I mean, to my re- recollection, you were a pretty formidable uh, electronics technician, right? ET, right? Yep. ET-1, right? You got out the Navy as an ET-1, 10 years. A lot of people, you know, they kind of just ride that last 10 out, you know, especially as a first class in 10, probably, you know, at some point, good prospect for chief, um, stuff like that. But you made that hard decision. That's a hard decision, man. Oh, it get is. Out and start all over again. Right. Yeah. So um, so let's talk about just that first like that first year out. Like, was it how was it for you? I don't think I realized I was out of the Navy until like probably two and a half years later when some other veteran who had been out was like, you don't have to be that way anymore. And I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> and like they were just talking about the way I was carrying myself just my whole demeanor. And and then once they told me that I really like looked at things a lot differently. And, uh, the first year was pretty wild though, because you really do have to carve your own path, no matter what it's very do or die. It's, Mm -hmm. it's a way different kind of life, especially after being used to 10 years of, you know, showing up every day. Um, just doing the military routine. Uh, One of like I just got my haircut. You're seeing it short for the first time since everyone since you saw me last. I grew it out to like down here, not just for the rock and roll stuff, but I had a hard time making friends that didn't think that (laughs) I had people ask me all the time. Are you a cop? (laughs) People always thought I was a cop. And I was like, no. So I just kind of like blended in more, grew my hair out instead of growing a beard. That was my thing. I grew my hair out as like a sign of protest. Um. I thought and then, you got a cut from the podcast, man. Yeah, was like, man, that was part of it. Looking good, man. Yeah, that was part of it. <laughs> but yeah, that first oh, year man. was rough. It was a, a lot of do or die. But I noticed a lot of things in myself, like a lot of drive that I wish I had in the Navy, where I was like, where's this coming from? Where it's like, yeah, you're not going to get food on the table and rent's not going to get paid if you don't like, you know, move yourself. Yeah, so <laughs> so the crazy thing is, I, I, I think we lose it because we don't need it. Right. You know what I'm saying? I think and that that ties into what I was talking about, about uh, music for me, you know, um, and, and what it was always bred from. And I never knew that. You know what I mean? Like, I never knew that my my like need to create music was necessity based. I thought I was like in like an undying love for the creation of music, you know, but I met my wife, you know, fell in love, like actual love. You know, that didn't hurt as much as music hurt right. me. You, you, you know what I'm saying? Didn't disappoint me as much as music disappointed me. It was like an actual love and like a lot of that void that was filled by me like 
taking trips to like other worlds and other places and stuff like that and creating music, I found a lot of that emotion in this, you know, relationship with with my wife. Right. You know what I'm saying? So that part that you're talking about, like that, that fight or flight, that's that is like the kind of one thing that I think we do sometimes lose and we don't even know we're losing it. Cause you could be broke as a E four, E five, you could be broke as a chief. But it's a difference between being broke in the Navy and being broke in yeah. the streets. Yeah, you know what exactly. I mean? Exactly, yeah. You know, because if you're on sea duty, you have a place to eat. You right. know, you could go right. to the ship. Um, and if you're on shore duty, you should have somewhere to eat. You, you, It's very seldom, you know, should people be out here missing meals. You know what I'm saying? Right. And if they, if they are, that's a problem. And then the thing is that we still could get WIC. You still could get like food stamps and stuff in the military. You know what I'm saying? So, so, so like you're saying now you're in this position where it's like, like I have to, you know, kill to eat, you know, like, you know, almost like I got to kill to eat, you know? So what's next? You know? And honestly, you know, I got some stuff going on that's kind of set me up for when I get out, but I like, I'm, I have a thirst for that feeling again. You know what I mean? Like, well, that's good. I got, Cause it, it yeah. took me by surprise and I was like, holy hell. Like, <laughs> but <laughs> like looking back weeks, on it, check not coming. right, exactly. Looking back on it though, <laughs> it, it pushed me a lot farther. I think in school, in, in my music, in relationship development with people, like I have mm-hmm. stronger friendships and stuff now, but I feel, I feel like it's because I don't know. I felt like in the military, uh, we were talking about breaking the rules earlier. I didn't like, I wasn't one of those to break the rules, but I didn't always follow the rules. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I like having structure, but I think not having like those walls around you or at least around me is helpful in like personal growth. The way that I'm writing songs now is drastically different than anything I thought I would be able to do five years ago. And I, I just think it has to deal with like having less walls around you. But it's also scary because those walls can be very protecting, like the military, just knowing that you got a check coming in every, you know, two weeks, knowing that you have somebody to go in and talk to, even if like they're not really your friend, they're just stuck there with you every day. <laughs> but like that Damn. kind of stuff, you know. Damn. Yeah, man, we got we I got like a guy, one of the sellers. Who caught COVID, you know, and us, um, Command Master Chief, he's like, uh, hey, like, let's make sure he got food. Let's make sure, you know, it's people out here that's catching COVID that it's not anybody around that's going to say that. Like, hey, right. let's make sure this person got food, you know, a place to, you know, get some uh, shopping, uh, just just different stuff like that. So that's that in itself. You know what I mean? It's, it's crazy. You know, uh, and now the military is open to telework. You know, so, you know, that's been kind of paying dividends, too. Right. Yeah, man. So so let's talk. So let's get into where you are now, like like uh, uh, musically, like where people could find you. Uh, we're going to do that twice. We're going to do it now, um, just in case somebody retention might not be that great and they're going to log off soon. You know what I mean? But uh, don't log off soon. <laughs> but uh, so let's Stick get into around. where you are now. Uh, where people can find you and what you're doing. So right now I'm in Daytona beach. I play week. I play every week at a place called the Daytona tap room. 
Um, that was mm. like my home base during COVID. Uh, I didn't stop playing, but I stopped playing out at a lot of different places. So this was the only place I had been playing for the past year. And um, I'm about to scale out and do other venues around the area, hopefully Daytona Beach, Orlando area. Um, that's for live performances. And the live stuff is different. It's mostly cover alternative stuff that I used to do. But my music that I'm producing now, uh, it's called, it's under the project name Seven Day Forecast. And mm -hmm. I don't have a page for it yet. So the only, <laughs> the only page I have, uh, aside from my Instagram, which is GDM2020, I have GDM on Facebook, which stands for Greg Davidson Music. And that's where I post about my gigs or anything I'm working on production wise. And I work with a lot of other people also. Uh, I work as an intern engineer over at a local studio here oh, in Holly cool. Hill. And we have um, artists that come in and clients that work on material and I'll work as an engineer and also kind of helping them produce their material as well. So yeah. as far as Central Florida, I'm just trying to uh, branch out of Daytona and get into uh, more production-oriented situations that are frequent and lucrative. Daytona has a lot of stuff in the live music industry. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, especially when there isn't a pandemic going on. Like, there are venues here where if you wanted to do, if you wanted to be a live cover musician and that's all you wanted to do, like if somebody retired, got out of the military, said, I want to go to Florida and just make money playing in a band every night of the week, you can do that in Daytona Beach. And I, yeah. I did it for like two years. It was really cool knowing that all my income that I was making was from music. Um, but it also, one thing I will caution against is once it becomes your business, you can't put it down. Like you can't go, oh, I'm not going to play today. Because once it yeah. does become your like bread and butter paycheck, <laughs> then you have to do it even when you like hate it. So that that like toxic relationship can be exacerbated when you're doing music full time. And that's why I like producing and engineering now, because as a performer, all that stuff gets accentuated and thrust onto stage so everyone can see. <laughs> and it's yeah, a yeah, lot yeah. of stress that like it was fun, but I feel like I aged more doing performing than I did by being on a ship for four years. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. And and a crazy thing, I think you I think uh, what I heard as you talking also talking about just being prolific. Right. And, and you have to be you have to produce um, for a million reasons. Right. You you never know what piece of content or whatever it is that you produced is the one that does it for you first off. Right. And then if you start to develop a fan base, um, the one thing about today yeah. and maybe any any, you know, any time is if you start building a fan base, you can't leave them hanging. You're doing it for them. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. We had people buy merch when I was in the band that I was in. Like we would have a whole like small town in Florida. The one bar that they would have. We played that place. Everybody in that bar bought one of our shirts. So like they're representing you and you're representing them at that point. Like you have yeah. to provide for them. And even when our band broke up, like I, it was, you know, when you have relationships fail and then all the eyes from, you know, 
all the the friends of the girl and the friends of the guy, all those eyes are on you. And it's like, oh, what happened? When I got out of my yeah. band, it was worse than that because we had so many people that were following us and wanted to see us succeed no matter what, that like when <laughs> when we did not succeed for them, I felt like I was letting down like a giant pool of people that like, you know, I felt bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's, you know, that comes with the territory of creating music and stuff. I got people on Instagram and uh throughout Facebook, throughout, you know, just my history and dabbling in the music every now and then I might throw something out where they like, hey, dude, like, what you doing? Like, dude's like angry. You know what I'm saying? Like, dude's like angry with me, you know, like, yo, you wasting your time, stuff like that. Um, So it could get super crazy um, when you out there doing gigs. Um, What's the craziest thing? Any anything real crazy happened to you? The the ship gig was pretty crazy. Every time we do an interview with the band, we used to get asked what was the craziest thing that has ever happened on stage or things of that nature. And when we were playing on the on the uh, casino cruise ship, the uh-huh. first time we ever went out and like I said, we played probably five different trips with that boat. The first time it was like high sea state and the cruise company was thinking about not leaving that day, but they they had a bunch of people and they were like, screw it, let's do it. Let's take the boat out. I've never seen that many people laid out. <laughs> and I was on it. Yeah. I was on a Navy ship like it was it was bad to where when we were playing on stage, like microphone stands were falling into us because of the, <laughs> the boat was rocking. Yeah. So here we are trying to like play guitar. Drummer's trying to hit a cymbal and the cymbal stand is like falling away from him. Yeah, and you so. can't, you know, you can't <laughs> lose them. Like you, they gotta. Hey, so we um we collaborated before, right? We did a collaboration before when I was in school for film. Yeah. You helped me there, you know. So we done we done you you done my first episode of the fan room, which I greatly appreciate. That's awesome. You know what I'm Thank saying? you. And um but we, you helped me before. You helped me when I was in college. I, I hate that I don't have it um, anymore, but we did a video called The Duty Blues, right? Um, can we talk about that? Yeah, sure. Okay, so that was a double entendre, right? So that was create, you know, creative in itself because duty, navy, blue, and then you, when you got when you on duty, you sometimes you got the blues and people call it the duty blues. But for us, it meant something else, right? Um, and, and what was that that it meant? I'd rather you kind of bring us into what it meant and what that project was about, if you remember it, what it, if, what it was about. I think that was the project. Um, was that the the mental health project, that one? It was about mental health. Yeah, yep. we were talking mental health early. Like, yeah. You know, mental health is kind of like a thing now. You know what I'm saying? But uh, we were talking. It should have always, you know, been something to talk about. But I think I, I feel like we were kind of early to the, you know, to that conversation. Yeah, definitely. Um, being at the Academy at the Naval Academy really helped because they, when I was there, they had like, even though we didn't get all the stuff the mids got, we still, I think, got a lot of resources, like me being able to go to, uh, outpatient therapy over at Walter Reed. That's like one of the best hospitals in the world for, for especially PTSD and those sort of things. So because... I think 
we were in that environment. They were also doing the stuff with sexual assault uh, prevention and response before Me Too movement happened, which was crazy mm. to me because like the academy was like having those uh, luncheons with the Sapper people where, you know, we were trying to confront problems before they came prob before they became big issues. Uh, I think that's kind of what we were doing with mental health before, like, it really became everybody's discussion. Yeah. Now you say you just said that you suffered from PTSD. Yep. Was that was that uh, service based or was that uh, prior to service? It was based? prior. It was a uh, childhood sort of traumas. And I think the service kind of exacerbated it in a weird uh -huh. way because it, it you can't you're not really allowed to emotionally regulate the way you want to in the service <laughs> like uh -huh. when you're in rank you have to you have to hold your composure and just be a part of the ranks you can't you know you can't laugh you can't you can't really show emotion you're a part of the the team the crew that's there to do whatever the job is that's supposed to happen there in the moment so i think when you're not allowed to process certain things um and process them in your own time, it can get really dangerous for people because then, you know, they might be bottling things inside or not dealing with issues or confronting them. Because of that reason, I think the military lifestyle exacerbated my healing, but it wasn't yeah. the direct cause of traumas necessarily. Yeah. Now, did you, did you, um, what did that play a part in you getting out at all? Um, I don't think so. I think, like deep inside it kind of did because I told myself, you know, if I want that safe space to be around to where, uh, like if I need that, that healing time, if I need to, you know, check myself in to inpatient, um, being in the military when you have to be a member for the team, that's not really conducive to the team. Like I feel yeah. that, that when I went to treatment before, like that's what I felt most bad about was not being on the team. I didn't feel bad about myself. <laughs> I felt like yeah. that letting the team down thing. So it's not why I got out, but it, I think it definitely plays a part of it to where yeah. like I've still been through stuff after I got out. And I know that if I was in the military, it wouldn't have been the best deal for, for me and the service. <laughs> so, yeah, especially cause we might tuck it a little bit because like you just said team team stuff we do so much family team kind of like development building where we like we've worked on things until 2300 you know what i mean so right, we kind of yeah. build this core value that you know it's about you you know it's a selfless not you know not you as in you as in us but you as in you as in another person it's like this selfless thing it happens a lot you know it almost happens and, it, and that still happens but it almost happens to the point that somebody might be surprised if you decide to put yourself first right you know what i'm saying yeah. it's kind of like uh simone biles with the olympics where yeah. she's like yo i can't i can't do it i gotta focus on my mental health and it's like people like spectators like actually disappointed in her making a personal you know, choice. Yep. And there are musicians doing that now too. Uh, there were a couple bands last year that were like, yeah, we're going to tour. And then they had to back out of their tour because they didn't, they weren't mentally prepared for it. And they didn't want to let their fans down by putting on a half-ass show. So like, yeah, 
it, that that's been happening a lot in a lot of industries outside of the Navy. It's a there's a big push for more mental health advocacy in the entertainment industry because it's the same long hours, team effort, load in, load out, get the show. You know, the show must go on like that. That thing, the show must go on is why people yeah. die to Astroworld, I think <laughs> like that's it crazy. was it was the the mentality of like the mission is more important than the person and yeah, I, it's this one casualty yeah and it gets it's the navy does that with people it's just i think any big organization where you know there there are big events with big rewards going on i think people just get can get wrapped up in that that cycle of reward like you said where it's like i do a show i put it all together i get the instant reward and then you get to be a part of that team. No one wants to take themselves out of that. You know, it's hard to step back and go, I need to do this for myself and for everybody else. It's crazy, man. It's crazy. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, we hurt ourselves in the long run. Like, it's us. Right. That, like, hurt. It's like you it's, it's like you showing up to the game and you giving them 35, 15, and 12, but then, like, every night. You know, you you really icing it, you, you know, your whole entire leg because it's really on its last, you know, leg. And I know a lot of athletes do it now just as a part of their therapy. But I mean, like you, you know, you're damn near injured, you know, but you still going out there. Yep. You're not going to take a break. You know, it was like like I said, Kobe Bryant was like always like one of my heroes, you know, um, when he went out there and limped and he made the free throws. You know what I mean? That was like a sign of like the time uh, you know at, at, at that time like that was like a sign of the time where it's like yo it don't matter get back on a horse get out there make them free throws this is what a hero does right you know what i mean yeah you know and simone biles coming through and doing something else is like a shift it's, it's almost like a shift in the process and the way we need to be looking at things and the navy is getting better at like identifying like people going through trauma, going through stress, and just listening to them. Like, yo, I need this. I need this time. I need this time. You know, I think some of some of you guys that got out about uh, five years ago would be super surprised with uh, a lot of the kind of progress that the Navy has made. Was, and that, also was that thanks was to uh, the Master Chief Petty Officer of the Navy, the guy that we had on base at he seemed really cool, and I know he took over his McPon for like a long time. The short guy. I'm not sure. Yeah, he's still the McPon. He still uh, is. Russell Smith. Wow. Yeah, he didn't make fun. yeah. Damn. He, he got in my ass a couple times at, at, at our <laughs> command. <laughs> he got in my ass Did a couple he really? times at our command. Oh yeah, yeah, man. When uh, when the division was getting investigated, the oh, whole yeah. division yeah. for like, tag out. <laughs> like yeah, he got it. I was the LPO, and like you know, this dude's like, hey, yeah, you know. Um, my LPO, he gave out a mustard sheet and nobody got training. He just gave out a mustard sheet and had people sign it, you know? And it was like, well, who's the LPO? He was like, uh, EM1 McCullough. And they was like, the dude right there? <laughs> I'm like, right there with him. They was like, him? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. They was like, all right, we're going to postpone this. We're gonna, and, you know, and it was way more to the story about right. me giving out this mustard sheet. But he was using it at that point to protect, you know, himself. Yeah. Um, but I was giving out, uh, it was like, ah, you know, chief kind of. But um, pretty much, long story short, is they took and they, you know, they got away, they got done with all that and they decided to investigate the whole division. The dude still got in trouble. So, wait, were you were there? Were you there for all that tag out? 
you were there for the tag out stuff, right? I re- I vaguely remember that. Yeah. Yeah, because it didn't really affect you know y'all that right. much, even though we were like the same division. But it was like more like EM base, you know, because them dudes have been doing some you know kind of like dirty stuff for a long time, you know. And it wasn't just the EMs; it was like it was the whole waterfront area. Yeah, yeah. Was command. <laughs> yeah, the command was crazy. You know, the command was crazy, and I'm glad we. I honestly think it was like to some EMs credit that this all got figured out actually you know we we start to find out that craft masters don't even know how to be authorizing officers for like tag out yeah, and stuff like that scary. <laughs> yeah so but so was the was that your last command usna or did yep. you go somewhere else no that was it i went to uh i did reserves for a little bit in jacksonville but uh reserves was not for me at all i could not step out of active duty and into uh, just on the weekends it's it seemed like like i'm not trashing reserves <laughs> uh, but it yeah. seemed like like boy scouts to me compared to active duty like i know some people did reserve careers and stuff and yeah, yeah, made yeah. way farther and way better of themselves in the military than i did but like when i tried to go from active to reserves i couldn't take that transition it was yeah it, it either like has a, to be all or nothing for me. Yeah, it'd be a couple of reservists listening to this pissed off. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> those those Sea Warrior <clears throat> reservists that's like ready, like, hey, I'm here. All of, I know some reservists that spent more time active duty, like, well, more time on ships, you know what I'm saying, than they spent, you know, at home or, you know, doing whatever right, it is yeah. that they, you know, that they had to do. Well, I was at an air but, station too, which was weird. And like one of the, when we were doing cleaning stations, I was asking for like a Neverdoll to shine some of the brass and they they laughed at me. They looked at me like I was crazy. They're like, this guy's looking for Neverdoll. Robocop. <laughs> <laughs> Captain America type stuff. So when did you when did you get out? What year? What year what what year was that? Uh the end of 2015. So so 20 I left that command in the 2015. So you must have got out either right before I left. I think it was right before, yeah. Okay, yeah, because I left. I, I had to leave around like October, November. Oh damn! Oh wait, then we must have left right around the same time then, because I was checking out in like October. Yeah, so yeah, it's just like a month. That's why I don't remember, you know, you leaving, and I don't remember me leaving right, yeah. before you. But like, so, like, can we can we talk about where life was for you on your way out of the Navy? Yeah. Um, where where was it? It was pretty much in the most uh, open-ended sort of situation anyone could possibly walk out of the military with. I uh-huh. had recently been separated, uh, divorced from my wife and first son. She moved back to Florida, so I was kind of going back to Florida to be closer to, to my son. And uh, when I chose to go to Florida, I had the headhunters that were trying to find me jobs all around America. They were like basically telling me there's nothing in Florida for you. Good luck. We can't help you down there. We wish you the best. So I was like, oh, the, the, yeah, yeah. It really sucked because I was getting like really good opportunities if I were to stay in, if I were, uh, I wanted to stay in Maryland for a while. I was uh-huh. getting uh, job offers as like, um, 
OEM plant floor QA supervisor for like soldering boards and stuff at manufacturing companies where they just make tons of little circuit cards. Anyway, come down to Florida. There's none of that down here. Like the industry down here is there isn't really much aside from the tourist yeah. industry. ACNR, man. That is actually pretty big down here. <laughs> uh, so I came down and started doing boat work and doing uh -huh. like um, radars and radio installs on just boats out in the marina for rich people, which was fun for a while. And then I stopped liking it because I realized that like I like turning wrenches and I like putting my hands on things when I work. Mm -hmm. And when I tried to do the business myself, there was a lot more of the book stuff that I wasn't good at. And that's why I kind of didn't stay with the boat stuff. Yeah. So so your career with the Navy, it's like, you, well, you getting out that decision, it was like absolute. Like you never have dreams about being in still. Oh, I giving do. Giving it another. Uh, yeah. I don't have dreams like. I'll still have sleeping dreams. I'll be asleep and I'll like have dreams that I'm about to miss muster or something, but <laughs> <laughs> it's real. It really happens. Um, I don't really have a desire to go back necessarily. And I think it's because my dad, like he's still working with the Naval Academy parachute team. Um, uh -huh. And so there's still connection with that. And being from a family that's been in the military my whole life my dad was in for 27 years like i'll never have a longing for the military because it was such a big part of my life that like yeah, you, yeah you. this is me figuring out who i am without it and it's really mm -hmm. kind of scary because the older i get the more i realize like growing up on military bases going to the officers club with my dad that's where i learned how to swim like the military impacted me more than i realized when i was in and so now I'm kind of not trying to undo all the programming for for because it was bad, but I'm just trying mm -hmm. to, like, realize who I am, not as a military affiliated person. Yeah. And, and what what have you came like? What? Who are you? Like, what exactly. Are you yeah. Of, yeah. Like, what am I what am I capable of doing on my own without like I did a, a recent job at america's biggest rock concert welcome to rockville um they had metallica play for two days i did security there so i was basically mm -hmm. doing the same sort of gate one naval academy security stuff with the wand the garrett wands and metal detectors yeah, the, the, yeah, checking was, bags yeah. i was doing that exact same thing at welcome to rockville for like four hundred thousand fans for four days and it was really good pay and i'm going to be working way more events like that but that's one of those things where it's like, I might not have been able to get that opportunity if it wasn't for all my military training. Because all I had to do was give my OC cert and go, here's my level one ATFP qual. And they're like, yeah, come work with us. So it's it's so hard you to had tell. To, question, if you had to introduce yourself, right, how would you do that? Like, who would you say you were? How would you introduce yourself? I don't really bring up that I was in the military now. Um, uh-huh until like people ask about it usually and yeah. that's that's mainly because i just like trying to to get i i like when when i used to be in the military and tell people oh yeah i'm a sailor i'm in the navy that always put i think 
in somebody's head puts you in a in a little box of theirs. And I think people get treated differently because they're in the military or because they're veterans. Like I've told people I'm a veteran and I get treated like, you know, I'm a combat vet from Vietnam. And it's like, no, 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 don't <laughs> I, like I didn't see yeah, any of that stuff. Yeah. Um, so like I kind of like introducing myself just as uh, without the military background, just so I can get people to kind of level with me one on one without having to feel any different way because of my service. Yeah, so it's like I'm Gregory Davison and I am a musician. Pretty much, except for like, I don't like saying I'm a musician <laughs> because of all the stigma uh -huh. that goes along with that, so. Yeah, so I'm a music technician. Uh, <laughs> audio engineer no. is the best, the best word I'm I like Gregory, for. <laughs> I'm Gregory Davison and I'm an audio engineer. Yeah, right. it is nice ring people it, go, right? Yeah, and people can find you at GDM on Facebook. Yep, Greg Davidson Music. Yeah, well, again, so my goal is, because I do another podcast, and my other podcast is like two and a half hours. Sometimes we go 2.45, and we get into... My goal is to have this podcast come in at under an hour, right? Nice. So for the fans, so for my fans that's listening... I want y'all to know that the goal is under an hour. We might not always hit that, under but the goal is under one hour. And we coming real close to the hour mark. So I want to thank you for uh, being a part of this inaugural episode Definitely. of the Fan Room, man. I appreciate thank it. Thank you. It was an I honor like, to be a part of it. Yeah, man. I, I feel like, you know, the music stuff we, you know, we we got into, some of the Navy stuff we, we got into. And I, I honestly think that we could have three more hours of, probably some in-depth conversations, some nerdy ET stuff, some nerdy, some more nerdy music stuff. Yeah. Um, some more Navy crazy. Like we had a crazy command. And like, I mean, cutting up couches with like saws, <laughs> like some crazy, <laughs> we had some yeah. crazy stuff happen. Probably more about depression, more about trauma, stress. But I mean, this was a good like appetizer for the listeners for um, the fan and it was room. good to just reconnect yeah. man uh, yeah, it definitely man. So, was thank you yeah so i appreciate you man i appreciate um, you one too. more time man where can they find you yeah you can find me on facebook at gdm uh, is my page greg davidson music and my material will soon be on spotify itunes amazon and all those other streaming platforms as seven day forecast the number seven and then just like the weather channel seven day forecast Thanks, man. And to the listeners, thanks for kicking it in the fan room. Thank you.